Good morning. It's good to be back up here. Um, this morning I'm finishing up a series that I started a while back. I ta- I'm talking on, I think Siri just heard me. Yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. She must have thought I was calling her. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm finishing up Daniel. I'm on Daniel 6 today. Uh, so far I've been up here speaking on Daniel 1 and then 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 together. Uh, Daniel 6 is Daniel and the lion's den. Most of you are probably familiar with this story. I think a lot of us are very familiar. I didn't grow up in the church, but I had heard about this story. So Lauren was saying to me, she's like, you better get this one right today, Corey, because <laughs> people all know about it pretty well. Um, so you guys can pray for me in that. Uh, <laughs> hopefully there's some good truths that are spoken up, up here. We'll see. Um, but I trust that the Lord is Got, got those in store for us. Um, so before I start off in Daniel 6, I'm going to recap where Daniel's at up to this point. God's people were settled in Israel at the start of Daniel. They had two nations at this point, the ten tribes in the north, Israel, and the two tribes in the south, Judah and Assyria, had come and taken over Israel, the ten tribes in the north, uh, because as promised in, in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 18, the Lord said that he would be removing the people from the land if they were not faithful to to him and to his commands. And so that was happening slowly. Assyria came and took over the north, and then Babylon had come and and conquered all of of the people of Israel and and Judah. So um, at this point, King Nebuchadnezzar was coming and conquering, but he did it in a unique way where he took the best and the brightest, Daniel and his three friends and many other youth from the nation of Israel back to Babylon to teach them and train them in his ways and to use their brains for his purpose and for his good. So Daniel to us can be very, very relevant. There's a lot of things that we have pulled away and can continue to pull away from this book because we're looking at men, young men in a secular world trying to live a life uh, that is loving towards God and, and fearing towards God and yet still be involved in this culture of Babylon. Uh, we, we are picking up on the third king that Daniel has seen. At least that's uh, what is, is there. We start off with King Nebuchadnezzar and then his son takes place for a little bit. And then soon King Darius comes into the scene. The Medes are taking over. So a a change in leadership again for Daniel. Daniel has seen a lot of change in his life. And he's always been respected throughout the change. That's something that we can notice about Daniel is the kings are going to him throughout all the different changes and all the different kings. So Daniel is a well-respected man in the position that the Lord has given him. So I'm going to read the entire chapter. There's not really a good place to stop. It's just go through the entire thing today, and then we'll get into the text. Before I do, I'm going to open in prayer. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Lord, help, help me clearly present your word. I know the best part of this message is going to be the 28 verses that are spoken here soon, Lord, and I pray that that would speak on all of our hearts as we listen and hear your word. 
and it speaks to us, Lord, and it changes us and it impacts us, Lord. So we thank you for that. Help me present clearly and just for us to be impacted by your word today. It's in your name. <clears throat> All right, so Daniel chapter 6. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom and, the over, and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one that these satraps might be accountable to them and that they might be accountable to the king that he might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit that the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. <clears throat> then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs, but they could not find any ground of accusation or evidence of corruption insomuch as he was faithful and no uh, negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it with him against or with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom and prefects and satraps and high officials and governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an objection that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed a document that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that this document was signed, he entered the house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before God. Then they approached and spoke before the king, about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. O king, or to the injunction which you have signed, but keeps making petition three times a day. Then, as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. These men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians, and no injunction or statute which the king establishes, may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king spoke to Daniel and said, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles. 
so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting. and No entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn, the break of day, and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den Daniel, of Dan, to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, insomuch as I was found innocent before him and also toward you. O king, I have, not, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders and brought the men who had maliciously accused Daniel and cast them and their children and their wives into the lion's den. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The word of the Lord. Um, And there is... A lot in there, and I think we've got a lot today that we could take away from this. I've tried to focus it down to a few different points, Um, so I'll get to that in just a moment. But at the beginning, just a quick recap to all of that, at the beginning of the chapter, life was moving very, very well for Daniel. If you notice, if you recognize the king was ready to put him over the entire kingdom, Daniel was one of three distinguished men, but soon he was about to be the distinguished man before the king. Then there was a few men that were jealous of Daniel. Daniel had an enemy that was out to get him. These men wanted to find fault in Daniel. They wanted Daniel to be guilty before the king. And they couldn't find anything. To me, I find that amazing. I mean... I know that if you personally looked at my life, it probably wouldn't take too long to find places where I've cut corners or made the wrong choices, but they couldn't find it on Daniel. And another amazing thing is Daniel was a man of prayer, and it was known. They knew that they could use Daniel's prayer life against him to make him guilty before the king in some twisted ways. Right? They, they were crafty in, in how they devise this plan to turn Daniel against the king and to make him guilty before the king. And so it happens. Daniel hears that the decree is signed 
that he's not to pray for 30 days? And what's Daniel's response? He prays as he normally would, right? He makes that decision to pray as he normally would. Um, And the king reluctantly, because at this point he had a good relationship with the king, right? Um, Probably the king wouldn't have put Daniel to that high position of authority unless there was some good relationship there, and we'll see that later. Just that I think there probably even was a good friendship that was developed with King Darius and Daniel. So he reluctantly throws him into the den of lions, and the king hopes that God will deliver him. And Daniel is delivered. And we have this amazing, miraculous event take place of closing the mouths of lions. I think initially I struggled with this passage, to be honest. I thought, I think there's a real danger and the way that some that we can approach this passage, and I wanted to make sure that I don't approach it that way, and that there's clarity of what that danger could look like, and knowing that we don't want to walk away from the book of Daniel with this message. And I think that message is that if your faith and your actions are unwavering, like Daniel's, that God will deliver you from all earthly harm, We know that that's not true. It was true for Daniel, right? Um, Daniel was a man of great faith, and God delivered him from the mouths of lions. But we have many, many other stories. When we keep this book in context of the entire narrative of the Bible, we look at the life of Job, right? He was a, a very, there was no one like him at the time, and we know that he was had many hardships in his life. He did not have complete protection from all, all earthly harm. And Stephen, the first martyr, the church recognized him as a man full of the Spirit. We've got, we're talking in the book of Acts here in the, in the later hour. We're going through that book. We've got many examples. James and Peter were both imprisoned. They had the same people praying for him, same time. James was murdered. Peter was delivered. So um, I, I don't want us to walk away thinking that there's some specific formula from the book of Daniel that if we are just faithful to God, that no harm will ever happen to us. And I don't think that's the message that Daniel is trying to preach here as far as earthly harm. And I think I'll get into that here coming up. God did close the mouths of the lions, and Daniel was delivered, but I think there's an even greater miracle of deliverance offered to us. So I've got five points as we walk through the scripture today, and hopefully I can get get into those, get through those in the time that we have left. The first one is that Daniel had an enemy that was out to create conflict between his faith and his culture. So right away we see success in Daniel, and then we see an enemy right there going for him. These men were jealous of the success that Daniel had, and they tried to create conflict between his faith and between our culture. We have the exact same thing. We call our enemy the devil. He prowls like a lion trying to destroy us. He's crafty in his ways. These men were very crafty in how to try and make Daniel guilty before the king. 
The devil's very, very crafty. And it's critical for us to realize that he's working hard to bring us down. And I think it's important for us to recognize that there is an enemy. There is an enemy out to get us. Right? There is an enemy that wants to put, present us guilty before the king. Second point, if that's true, why didn't Daniel just close the windows? Right? There, was a, there were enemies out to get him. He was not allowed to pray for 30 days. Could have just closed the windows, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know if he still would have been caught if his windows were closed. I wanted to leave that up. I wanted to ask that to you guys and see what your thoughts were. I've got some thoughts on it. But why do you think when this injunction came, Daniel didn't just close the windows? I don't think he's going to run from the situation. I mean, I think he's just saying whatever. I mean, he's not going to alter himself because of bad circumstances around him. He's going to still stay faithful as he always did. And to close the window is kind of retreat. And I don't think he's that type of question of who's really in charge. Mm-hmm. Is it the king, is it the king, or is it God himself? And <clears throat> the reality of the situation was available to Daniel, and that's being acted on. You know, there are occasions when the, when the rule of the king comes in conflict with God. They're rare. Because in general, in general, it's righteousness that even the ungodly would like to see. But sometimes they're coming to conflict and you've got to make a choice. You did. Yeah. I think Daniel's faith had been strengthened already because, uh, you know, as a young man, when he, uh, he told the, uh, uh, the king that yeah, he wasn't going to eat this food, you know, uh, I'm going to eat the food that I used to. I mean, there his faith has already been strengthened. So all along, I think you see a little picture of how God had prepared him for to this point. So he said, "There's no reason for me to change what I'm doing." Uh, you know, if I close the window and I, uh, or open the window, that doesn't mean my prayers will not go up to heaven. I'm just going to keep doing what I've been always doing. And so I think that's the approach he took. Yep, and I and I, I think Daniel's uh, his presence in in private was the same as his public position as he walked faithfully with the Lord. I mean, it's it, it's like sometimes we are challenged into our 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 public persona and our in our private person. You know, the things we involved in. Daniel was consistent with his faith, openly or or in a closed. Just the verse itself, I think, gives us the answer. So that was his custom. He did not change anything he did because of circumstances around him. And I think of even today, when of the culture that we live in, do we change? Well, the other thing is he, did, he didn't go out. He wasn't confrontational. He didn't go out on the street and start praying in public. You know, he, he did what he always did. Uh, there's some who kind of respond, concentrate, and things come in. He, he didn't do that. He, 
isn't as was discussed. Uh, but we're also tempted today in the culture that we live in to, uh, I, I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful about how we speak, but do we change our behavior because of people around us and how we uh, talk about the Lord, uh, how we talk about truths that are in the Word? Yeah, I, I have very similar thoughts. We do see a consistent Daniel throughout the first six chapters, I think, um, where he clearly is showing what authority matters to him. Now, he's not by any means trying to personally cause conflict. He's just being consistently faithful to God. At least that's the way I see it. He's not, his goal is not conflict, but his goal is to love and honor God. And conflict arises through that. And we see, we've seen that in previous chapters, and we definitely see it here. Um, I think, for me, the idea of closing windows, this is kind of a side note, but I, I do think that's the message that's being preached in our culture today, that if we just close our windows, right, as we, as we go about our prayer life, if we just keep it behind closed doors, then we won't. We won't be caught, we won't be persecuted, we won't be thrown to the den of lions as, as Daniel was. And, and that could have been true for Daniel too if he closed his windows. I don't know. You know obviously God has his own, his own purposes. But, but if Daniel would have closed those windows, if he would have avoided, if he would have changed his actions and his servitude towards God based out of fear of man, we may never have this wonderful, miraculous story of Daniel and the lion's den, right? He, he may not have been caught in, in his actions. And so um, I know that I do that a lot of times as a high school teacher. I, I try to keep my faith to myself completely private. It's I, not that I want to do that, but sometimes out of fear of saying things or being honest and genuine with who I am, there can, there can be an underlying fear there that I have of man over fear of God. And Daniel's a great example of, of fearing God first. So I, I, I guess I'll read this because I, I want to make sure I get it how I had it written. I put, Daniel's faith caused conflict in the culture, which led to many people witnessing miraculous events. 
God uses the conflict to bring glory to his name. And so I want us to think for a moment, are there opportunities we pull back from? Because we know our faith is going to cause conflict in the situation. And there could be some wisdom in that, of not going pridefully pushing our agenda on people. Um, but I, th- I think there's also opportunities where God can use conflict to bring glory to his name. So just asking ourselves, what am I sacrificing by keeping my faith hidden behind closed windows? And when I was thinking about that, God actually has given me an example of that recently in regards to my work life and my faith. So when I was involved with Fairfield... I was very open, involved with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I coached tennis there. I was always inviting people to Young Life and had some Young Life uh, people on my tennis team that were, we'd pray before the tennis match. We would do those kind of things. And I was known as a man of faith in some regard. You know, I can say that humbly in some regard at, at Fairfield. But when I came to Lakota, I didn't feel the comfort. I didn't find other Christian believers and faith didn't become part of who I was when people think about Mr. Moorfield at Lakota local schools. And because of that, I think honestly, because I was keeping my faith private and keeping away from conflict, feeling like I'm the only one in this, there could have been missed opportunities. Just recently, I reached out to the local Young Life leaders who got involved with that ministry, and I started talking about it in my classroom, putting up flyers for a camp that they're actually at this weekend. So if you want to pray for the Lakota Young Life uh, out at fall weekend this weekend, they're out there uh, with that ministry. But there is a girl there this weekend at fall weekend, her parents emailed me. They're so happy. They're so blessed by it. But she's there this weekend simply because I put a flyer up in my room about fall weekend. And I've had so much fear of just making known my faith in that culture out of conflict. And, and God uses things. And I think the, the encouragement that we need to take it from Daniel in this regard is to just be consistent. To be consistent with our faith life inside our home and outside our home, and we don't know how God is going to use it. Yeah, things could turn back on me at some point, you know, if I have conversations and Christian conversations, but my persecution is so small and compared to what Daniel was sacrificing. God is calling us to be faithful and consistent and honoring him. And in doing so, that brings me to my third point, Daniel's friendship with Darius led to Darius asking pivotal questions about the Lord. Right? Daniel was consistent. His, his faith in God was not just when he was at home. It was when he was with the king. It was wherever he was. It was known. It was known by Darius. After Daniel prayed, he was brought before the king. The king reluctantly threw Daniel into the lion's den. The only hope King Darius had, there was nothing King Darius could do. He labored all day intensely, hoping that he could save Daniel but not even the king could save Daniel. There's nothing he could do. The law couldn't be revoked. So Darius asked this question to Daniel in verse 20. 
O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, as, he, as, as Darius ran to the lion's den, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Isn't it amazing that Daniel's relationship with a secular king led to a situation where the king desperately wanted to see God come through? I believe the culture around us, and especially those close relationships that we have in our work life, in any kind of social life that we have, they are watching our lives and they're wondering the same type of question. They're asking, is God able to rescue? Can God deliver? Does God really have power? Right? Is he a God worth serving? When they look at our lives, they're wondering that. Because if he's not, why would they want him? Right? They, want, they, they can see evidence in our lives. And that, that relationship that Daniel had with the king was so important. It was so important. We're all called to the ministry. So they're, they're looking to see if God will really work. And sometimes they're desperate to see him move, as Darius was in this situation. You know, the most secular people at times in situations when there is no other outlet, what will they do? They might come to their Christian friends and ask them to pray for them. I mean, has that ever happened to any of you when you're thrown off by some person that is not of faith and they come to you and say, there's just nothing I can do here. Would you pray for me in this? Would you pray for me? Why would they say that? Why would they ask us that? They don't believe that God has power. They want to see God have power. And they hope. There's hope. We all hope that God is real and that God will save and that God will deliver. And they're looking for it. They're longing for it. They're hoping for it. Darius was hoping for it. Darius couldn't save Daniel. Only God could. And he did. And I think in this situation, it's much bigger. We can apply this to our lives today. It's more than just physical deliverance. right? God will and does save. So my, my encouragement for myself and for all of us Don't shy away from our non-Christian relationships. God may use you in a moment in time to share the good news of the gospel with them. Oftentimes it's in desperation. And it's there that we can tell them about the deliverance and saving power of Jesus Christ, a better hope than anything. fourth point that I have. Why was Daniel delivered? Why did God deliver Daniel? At first, this was hard for me to get. Um, And I still don't know that I have it perfectly, but the Lord is, I definitely don't, but the Lord has revealed a lot to me. Why was Daniel delivered from the mouths of lions? He was delivered, it says in verse 21, O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel to shut the mouths of lions, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him 
and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Daniel was delivered because of blamelessness before the king. God saved Daniel because Daniel was blameless. There was no reason for Daniel to be condemned. He was blameless before the king, and he was blameless before God. When I first read it, and I made that connection, when we look at Daniel's life, I mean, there's nothing bad said about the man, right? When you read through the book, I mean, maybe you could make an argument for some of that, but I don't see anything written about him that's negative. And so when I look at that and say, Daniel was delivered for his blamelessness, it can make me think, well, I'm doomed, right? If blamelessness, <laughs> if blamelessness is what it takes, I mean, that's literally the words I thought about it. And that's what went through my heart when I read that initially. If blamelessness is what it takes for God to come through, then I'm done for. There's a whole list of things you could blame me for just in this last week. Cynical towards others, judgmental, prideful, glory-seeking, right? I, my own comfort, many, many different things. I have a lot of things to be blamed for. Just ask Lauren. <laughs> no, I, just, I mean, honestly, there's just, there's, the, the closest people know it the best, that we are not perfect by any means. Um, and the thing is, we all, we all are ugly in our thoughts, in our actions. We all should not be blameless before the king. But there's a hope for all of us because there's a blamelessness offered that is solely based on position. As Christians, we get to accept blamelessness in the person of Jesus Christ. That is an, that's it. In order to be blameless, we trust in God. Daniel was delivered before the king and before God because he was blameless. We have the same hope. And that's what I meant by I think there's a greater miracle going on here. I think we can pull from this passage that blamelessness does bring deliverance. Blamelessness before God brings deliverance from God's wrath from God's judgment, from any harm before the king. I'm going to read a few New Testament verses. And while I read them, I want you guys to think about our position and who's acting on our behalf. Ephesians 1 and verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Colossians 1.22 But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish, free of accusation. Jude 24-25 Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. God loves presenting us. Jesus loves presenting us blameless before the King. It brings him joy. That's why he came. That's why Jesus came and died. He came and died so that we could be blameless before the King. So that no harm would come upon us. Just as Daniel. We're not talking about physical harm here. right? We talked about that in the beginning. But there really is no harm for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are blameless before the King. What a beautiful truth. We can cling to the same truth that Daniel did. Our God does save. Our God does deliver. Our God will deliver. And people can watch that in our lives. And He transforms us. And there is a coming hope that we hold fast to. So what does that look like for us as Christians today, being blameless As Christians, we are blameless, free from the punishment of sin. When God looks at us, He sees us white as snow. Then there's rest in that. What could be more beautiful than knowing that there is no condemnation by the King, but rather welcomed with honor into His kingdom? If you think about it, being blameless before the King means freedom from all guilt and shame. Daniel had no reason to feel shame before the King. Daniel had done no wrong. We have done wrong. We have. There's reason for guilt and shame. But there's not when you're blameless. What position do we have? In Christ. Thank you. In Christ. For those who have been washed by the blood. Washed white as snow. We are blameless before the King. Yes, we do continue to sin, but we are blameless. Now, in the beginning, I talked about an enemy. An enemy. Daniel had an enemy. We have an enemy that is very powerful, very strong here on this world. And he wants nothing more than for us to not believe that truth. He does not want us to understand God's love for us, He doesn't want us to know God. He wants to wreck our relationship with God. He works hard to tempt us into sin and then immediately accuses us for it. Guilt and shame are His driving powers. Right? God could never love somebody like me. That's one thing spoken by Satan. How could God love somebody that continues to choose himself and his own personal pleasures? We hear these things in our head. We're not without fault. And the truth is, we we really aren't without fault. I mean, I I can do things against each other and against you guys. and, um, And we start to hear these lies and believe these lies that we're not worthy of God's love. And God doesn't genuinely love us. Satan's goal is, if he, as Christians, if he can't truly make us guilty before the king, 
He at least wants us to, to feel guilty before the king, right? And, and to run from the king out of our guilt and shame. Second Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's trying to devour me with constant reminders of my lacking as a husband, as a father, ways that I can fall short of loving others. It's easy to to be deceived that God could never love me. When we remember our position granted to us, Satan's accusations have no power to devour. By God's grace, we are delivered. We trust that God chooses us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Reality is we do have sin that should condemn us before the King, and we should repent of that. Sin is real and ever-present, but I am blameless before God. That's amazing. God does not look and see my sin, but rather He sees His Son, whom He loves deeply. He sees the righteousness of Jesus on me, Corey Moorfield, a sinner saved by grace. When the thoughts of guilt and shame flood our head, we can remember our position granted by Jesus Christ for those in Him and thank God for how deep His love flows for us. So my final point here this morning is to trust and rest in that truth. And I really think that Daniel was able to do that. Trust, as we go through the scene, King Darius coming to the den of lions to see if Daniel is alive. Scripture tells us, Daniel was taken up from the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in God. Trust and rest in it. Being blameless before God, we get the intangible blessing of rest, peace, joy, forgiveness, shalom, sleep, This chapter describes that sleep fled from King Darius. King Darius was trying to do anything in his power he could to deliver Daniel. He fasted. He stayed up anxiously all night. Now, this might be a stretch. I don't know what... It doesn't talk about what was happening in Daniel's heart. But Daniel may have been sleeping in the lion's den. He may have got a good night's rest when he was dropped in there. We do know that in Acts, when Peter was in prison, waiting condemnation and death. What was he doing when the angel came to him? He was sleeping. Because there is a beautiful rest in being blameless before the king. Right? We do not live in anxiety and guilt and shame. God provides rest for us knowing that he loves us and he cares for us. And he's in control of us. I think God wants to do a rescue in our lives that's far more miraculous than simply shutting the physical mouths of lions. He wants to present us blameless, and he wants us not to doubt, but to trust in that blamelessness. I'll end with a passage from a hymn that has meant a lot to me over this study. It says, Tis so sweet 
to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know this, thus says the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Thanks be to God for those who are in him for this position of blamelessness. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that we can love you freely without guilt and shame and just run openly into your arms, trusting that you look upon us with love. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't have that freedom, that doesn't know what it's like, I pray that they would choose to trust in you, that they would accept the grace that you offer, and they would experience the love that you have for them this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you always are using it in different ways to transform our lives and our hearts. We love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for this morning.